we are coming to the end of the most famous sermon um, ever preached, and it's not mine. <laughs> it's Jesus' sermon on the mount. And we are in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 to 29. That's Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 29. We saw last week that kingdom righteousness is lived out in real-world relationships. Christianity is not just moral principles and ideas, but it's lived out in the way that we treat other people. And Jesus summarizes most of the Sermon on the Mount with these words in verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. And in that line, I believe Jesus concludes the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. And then he rounds into the conclusion. And it is quite the conclusion. It is quite the summons to this crowd. And so let us read how Jesus calls for a response. It cuts across the very fabric of our culture, a pluralistic society. And Jesus says this. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, oh, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, depart from me, I never knew you you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears the words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority, and not as their scribes. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we 
pray and ask that you would bless the preaching of your holy word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. For many people, they are faced with the question presently to take the vaccine or not. For us, given the low levels of community transition, it doesn't feel as urgent or as immediate a question, especially if you have no underlying health conditions or you're not working in the front line. But for many people around the world, it is a life or death decision. Perhaps you can imagine a man or a woman in Papua New Guinea, uh, just our close northern neighbours. I've been to that country, a, a very poor uh, corrupt, uh, devastated country in many ways, but very beautiful people. But as the virus ravages through villages and communities and is spreading out of control, there's calls for governments to donate vaccines to PNG in order to help them, in order to you know, save more PNG people and to you know, potentially put us at risk. And you could imagine a, a, a man or a woman from PNG being faced with this decision a vaccine comes into their community, should I take it or should I not? Perhaps they have um, some form of connection to the internet, depending on where they are, and they go searching upon the internet to find out, to find the information, should I take it or should I not? They scroll through Facebook and they, they type in vaccine and a whole bunch of different articles and ideas come up. Articles for it. You know, the, the health benefits, the, the, the security of it, the, the great testing, the, the low side effects. Then they keep scrolling. Another article comes up about how all these negative side effects, how it will ruin your life, how it's a plot from, you know, the communist governments around the world to take over. Scrolling for and against. What should I do? What should I do? The indecision the thinking, if I take this and give it to my family, what will happen to them? If I don't take it and don't give it to my family, what will happen to them? What would you do? Would you take it or not? Would you give it to your kids if you have kids or your elderly grandparents? Would you take it or not? You have to choose one or the other. There's no third way. You either decide to take the vaccine or you don't. And life is on the line. These decisions, these choices are incredibly difficult. We hate having to make a binary decision one way or the other. To decide, the very meaning of the word decide means to cut off. To choose one thing is to cut off every other option. To say yes is to say no to everything else. And this, according to Jesus, is true when it comes to matters of spiritual life and spiritual death. Indeed, our very eternal future. We want plurality, multi-faith, multi-sexuality, multi-moralities, multiple choices, multiple ways to get into heaven. But Jesus leaves us with no myriad of options, only two. Jesus gives us a binary decision. We want a balanced middle path, the Goldilocks principle, not too hot, not too cold, just right. But Jesus does not offer that. 
There is no fence sitting. It is either one or the other. We want intersections and roundabouts, but Jesus offers a two-way highway with a wall in between going opposite directions. As we come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus offers a basic question to the crowds, the, the multitudes, and to us who are here this morning. Which way will you choose? If you put it into a little rhyming sentence, you could say it like this. There are two paths, but only one way. To enter life, it is Jesus you must follow and obey. Jesus takes us to the crossroads of the kingdoms and calls for a decision. And in this great conclusion to his sermon, he offers two paths, two warnings, and two choices. And that'll be our points for today. Two paths, two warnings, two choices, and one heading, two paths, but only one way. Let us jump into point number one and examine Jesus's conclusion in verses 13 to 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it a few. Jesus here introduces his conclusion with a command, but really it's more of a plea. Enter by the narrow gate, he calls to his new disciples and the crowds. He pleads with those who have been following him for this time, city to city, healing, miracle, teaching after teaching. He's called, repent and believe the kingdom of heaven is near. And now he says, enter by the narrow gate. They've heard the hard teachings. They've heard him outline the requirements of entering the kingdom of God to be poor in spirit, hungering for righteousness, being merciful. He's called them in the sermon to submit to him as the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament law. He's called them to obey not just the seeming apparent letter of the law, but the very nature and heart of it. To not merely not murder someone, but to not even hate anyone in your hearts. To not merely get caught in the act of adultery, but to not even lust after another man or woman. He's then removed the possibility of seeking earthly rewards for righteousness by feigning passion in prayer, generosity in giving, or fervor in fasting. Instead, he calls them to secret righteousness for the audience of one. And what's more, he's even called them not primarily to invest their wealth here on earth and improve their standard of living, their prosperity here, but to send it on ahead into heaven. and to trust their heavenly Father in the process. And finally, he's forbade them from being judgmental, 
from being lax in prayer and has enjoined them positively to do all to others what they wish others would do unto them. And now he says, enter by the narrow gate. This is how he ends his sermon with a plea, a come, a command, enter here. But why? I mean, read the Sermon on the Mount and do it. Why would we want to do that? Why would you want to follow Jesus after everything that he said? Well, he explains in a vivid image and gives this motivation and and draws out the eternal consequences of our decision. There are two gates that lead to two paths that lead to two destinations, and there are two crowds on the paths. Let's examine them in turn. Firstly, the two gates. There's a wide gate and a narrow. The wide gate is not hard to go through. It's wide. It's easy. You can breeze on through. It requires no removal of your baggage, no self-sacrifice, no denial, no cross, no hard choices. Like when you go on international travel and you have unlimited baggage. Wouldn't that be amazing? You can bring whatever you want. They're not even going to weigh it. You just put it on the trolley thing and it, just, the tro- and it just goes through. That's the wide gate. No question of what will I leave behind. And then there's the narrow gate. A tight squeeze. No baggage allowance. Must sacrifice everything. Shed it all. Leave your sin, leave your pride, leave your selfishness, even perhaps for some, leave your family. Leave your allegiance to thyself. Then there's the two paths. The wide gate leads to the easy path. A gentle stroll down the hill and no thought for the uphill return. Just down and down, smooth, plenty of space, Room for all to join in. No steep mountains, no sharp turns, no dark valleys, no corners where robbers could be waiting. A broad path where many can go. Or you take the narrow gate and you look beyond and you see this crooked little track that leads up a steep mountain into the darkness where the clouds and the rain are. Foreboding, crooked, And then there are two crowds. You look through the gate onto the path and you see the floods of the people going down the wide path. Everyone's down that way. And look how carefree and easygoing they are. No second guessing. No sacrifice. Just going with their heart. Family, children, spouses, colleagues, bosses, the elite, the powerful. Look at them. Those getting ahead in life. Look at them. Go. Should we follow? They've got everything, all their goods and luggage and possessions. They've got it with them. And then you look through the narrow gate to the hard path and flows along it a trickle of poor souls with nothing on their backs and a hard journey ahead. But then Jesus reveals there's two destinations. You go through the wide gate, the easy path with the crowds of people. But Jesus says that at the end, 
lies destruction. Through the wide gate and onto the easy path, the multitude stroll in blissful ignorance of the unseen cliff at the end. And an untold multitude falls over that cliff. They stream over the edge to their peril by the thousands and hundreds of thousands every day, dashed upon the rocks into destruction. But, you see, through the narrow gate, the lonely pilgrim, strengthened by one another in their journey, trudging uphill together through many battles, valleys, difficulties, but at last they reach the end of their journey. (laughs) And at the end of their journey is life. Life in a heavenly city, the new Jerusalem wherein flows a river of life and the trees of life, where streets are paved with gold, where the sun does not shine for the glory of the Lord is its light, where the Lord himself cheers you in through the gates crying, well done, good and faithful pilgrim, enter into the joy of your master. And once inside, you're reunited with your fellow pilgrims. And you are met face to face with your Lord and Master. And he shows you to the room which he has prepared for you. This powerful image. Jesus is saying neutrality is not possible. A third way is not possible. An alternate route is non-existent. A different outcome to these two paths is a fantasy. And Jesus leans over to each one of us today and pleads, enter by the narrow gate. The way is hard, but it leads to life. So what is your choice You stand at the crossroads of the kingdom, each one of us, deciding which way to go. Perhaps you realize that you are on the easy path already and you need to change course. Perhaps you are on the hard path and weary of the difficulty, looking back and seeing the broad way, thinking, perhaps I should go with them. What will you choose? Come and enter the narrow gate, Jesus pleads. Perhaps you are lost and looking for a way home, a way to hope, a way to life, a way to true joy that transcends the distractions and the pleasures of this earth. Come and enter here. There are two paths, but only one way. To enter life, It is Jesus you must follow and obey. It's point number one, two paths. And now Jesus moves to the two warnings in verses 15 to 23. Assuming now that you choose this narrow path, Jesus, as a good pastor, wants to shepherd us for the journey. Say you are on that narrow path. He wants to draw attention to you two warnings, two things to be on the lookout for as you go along this way, as you make your pilgrimage to the celestial city. 
Two warnings. Number one, false prophets. Number two, false profession. False prophets and being a false professor. Let's look first at the warning of false prophets. Verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Friends, not all teachers are from the Lord. Not all men or women who claim to speak for God truly do. It's a very vivid, vivid and scary image. Sheep are so vulnerable. They have no defense mechanisms. They're not even fast, ferocious, powerful, or strong. And to have someone in their midst who looks like a sheep but is actually a wolf can cause the utmost of damage in the shortest of time. And Jesus warns us, beware, beware of false prophets. They will lurk. They will sneak in. You won't see them at first. They look like a sheep. That's the danger. They don't come in as a wolf. They come in pretending to be a sheep. So how do we avoid these wolves? Well, Jesus outlines a method in verses 16 to 20 by changing the image of sheep and wolf to trees. Read verse 16 to 20. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit. Nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. At first, it will be hard to tell. We have a fruit tree at the front of our house. We didn't even know it was a fruit tree, and then it started growing fruit. Like, wow, this is good. But then, as the fruit blossomed and dropped, and you bit into it, it was full of maggots, literally. And the fruit, even the ones that weren't full of maggots, had no flavor and no taste. The tree is diseased. But it took us many months before we even realized what the nature of that tree was. At first, they will come in and they will look like one of us. They will sing the same songs. They will dress the same clothes. I mean, if they came in, in like Noah did in Gandalf's robe, we'd be like, well, probably a false prophet. <laughs> but they're not going to do that. They're going to use the right language. They're going to use all the cliches and the, the routine words. Oh, I just want to identify an evidence of grace. Isn't the Lord good? Isn't that God's grace to us? That's what they're going to sound like. But over time, you will see in the morality of their life a disease. No repentance. No real remorse. No real change. A selfishness. And you'll see in their teaching that they'll begin to doubt the veracity of Jesus' words. He's loving. I know the Bible says that the wide way leads to destruction, but there must be other ways for people in the world to come in. 
They will be like the prophets in Jeremiah's time who proclaimed peace, peace, when there is no peace. From a distance in Palestine, the thorn bush and the flower of a thistle looked like a grape or a fig. So the thorn bush would produce these little grape-looking things and, and the thistle would produce a flower which could be mistaken for a fig. But once you get up close enough and put it under examination, you soon find it is rotten, diseased, or inedible. And so, friends, we must always be on the lookout. Beware of our consumption of media, who we allow to have authority in our life via podcasts and books and uh, teaching. And you ought to be judging me, the words that I say the character of my life, and one another. Not to be cynical fruit inspectors or heresy hunters, but sober-minded, knowing that the, the danger is great. And secondly, he moves from warning about false prophets along the journey to false professors. Read verses, not like university professor, but a professor, what you say. Verse 21 to 23 these are scary words. I'm sure that for some of us who are more tender in our conscience and doubting our assurance, these words may cut you in a way that they ought not to. If this makes you doubt your assurance before the Lord, I would love to speak to you afterwards. I don't think Jesus is intending to scare the flock and to make them run, but he's causing us to self-examination. These words are for the proud. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Here Jesus warns that it is entirely possible to have the right doctrine, to declare that Jesus is not just Lord, but Lord, Lord, to say the right things. It's even possible to do mighty deeds in the name of the Lord to proclaim Jesus' name, to cast out demons, to prophesy, and to do miracles. It's recorded in the book of Acts. The seven sons of Sceva used the name of Jesus, and then things were happening, and then the demons turned on them and said, we don't even know who you are, and chased them out of the city. It's possible to use Jesus' name. There's power. He has authority. He is king. And you may deceive demons for a time, but you can never deceive the Lord. How is this so? How could Jesus say to someone, Lord, Lord, and he say, I never knew you? Well, look at what Jesus said. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. It is obedience that makes the difference. It's not just doctrine. It's not just doing mighty acts for God but obeying him as he has defined and called us 
too. He defines obedience, not us. We like mighty deeds. We want to do powerful things for the Lord. But he defines the obedience. And that's the difference between the false and the true convert. Do they sit at the feet of the Lord, listen to his words, and do them as he has said them? Do you know Jesus? Not just know about him, not just do things for him, serving, rosters, kindness, giving. Do you know him as a friend, as your Lord? Or even more, does he know you? Does he know your name? Will he call out, well done, good and faithful servant? Will he say your name on that last day? Who does he know? Well, Jesus hints at it in Matthew 6. Instead of saying, Lord, Lord, in public or performing deeds that all might see, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who sees or who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Private righteousness precedes public expressions. Do you know him in the private room? Do you know him in your heart? And does he know you? It's a warning. It's entirely possible to be self-deceived, to be deceived by false prophets, to be deceived by yourself. And so Jesus warns his new pilgrims as they consider the, the narrow gate and the hard path. He says, be warned, on your journey, there will be false prophets and false professors. Steer clear and do not be one of them. There are two paths, but only one way. To enter life, it is Jesus you must follow and obey. We've seen the two paths. Jesus has outlined the two warnings, and now he ends with two choices. He draws to a close the entire Sermon of the Mount with this perhaps famous illustration to you. Verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine Oh, sorry. And, oh, that's bad. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. 
two builders. Both hear the instructions. Everyone present had heard the entire Sermon on the Mount. And both are left with their simple choice. Will I obey or not? Will I do what this teacher says or not? And the outcome is very poignant and prescient given our current flooding and circumstances. Both will build a house. Both houses will look sound from the outside, even from ground level. But the one who hears the words of Jesus and does them, who does what he says to repent and believe, who becomes a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, will stand through the storm. Yes, the rain will fall in oceans. Yes, the flood waters will rage against your life, friends. The wind will batter, but the house will stand. For the house is tethered to the rock who is Christ. It cannot be moved. But the one who hears the words of Jesus who listens to his cry to repent and believe and to follow him and does not act upon it, will be washed away and utterly ruined. The rain will seep through. The floodwaters will sweep out the foundation. The wind will knock over the structure and the house will fall to a ruin. All that she has And all that she does will lead to her own perishing. And the difference? Obedience. Obeying Jesus. Following Jesus. Doing what he says. For he is Lord. No mere teacher, no moral philosophizer, but Lord. One month ago, after renting for many years, Joe Wilkinson bought his dream home at North Haven, just near Port Macquarie. At the time, he was reluctant after spending so much on purchasing the home, after saving for so many years, to fork out an extra $13,000 a year for flood insurance. And one month later, his house is completely ruined with no insurance to pay the damages. Friends, the only flood insurance for your life, the only way to escape the ruin that Jesus promises is to trust and obey him. Imagine a man, we'll call him Tom, Tom has been in church, he's heard the sermons, he's been listening to the teaching of the Lord Jesus, and Tom has come to the realization, I think that's me. I am on shaky ground. He begins to feel a a sickening but stirring feeling in his soul. He feels the pull, even the fear of these words. 
If I were to encounter a storm, I'd be washed away. If I were to die today, I don't know where I'd go. But another voice enters his head. Yes, but the way is hard. You'd have to admit to everyone in your life group that you've not really been a Christian this whole time. You'd have to give up on your sins. You'd have to be committed. You'd have to give away your independence. You'd be bound. But the other voice stirs. Ah, but I know Jesus is true. I must follow him. I want security. I want peace. I want life. I want rest. Tom is torn between the crossroads of the kingdoms. Perhaps that is you. Perhaps you're even a serious and mature Christian. Yet now you know that you aren't. You've been playing word games, applying labels, talking the talk, professing but not truly practicing. Friend, if God is working on your soul even now, do not delay another minute. If you are not following Christ, you have no flood insurance. You will lose it all, even if you've attended church your entire life. And for all eternity, you will beat yourself up about this moment when you were stirred. And did not obey. There are two paths, friends, but only one way to enter life. It is Jesus. You must obey. There's a wide and narrow path, there are false prophets and false professors, and there are two choices. To obey or disobey. To make a start on the journey and turn back. Or to choose the entirely wrong direction. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Astonishment is good. But not enough. What is your response, friends? Yes, I want to keep following down the hard and narrow path to life. Perhaps you're unsure. I don't know. This sounds too strict. It sounds too singular and binary. But for all of us, we really should be thinking how can I actually do this? If the only way to enter eternal life is to do all that Jesus has commanded us to do, even if it, you just limit it to the Sermon on the Mount, how can we possibly do this? We all ought to be thinking there is no hope. <laughs> How can I possibly be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect? Matthew 5, 48. How can I possibly 
do unto others as I would have them do unto me at all times and in all places? How can I possibly live for the audience of one and never seek my own righteousness? I can't do it. That's what we ought to cry. Lord Jesus, I cannot obey. I can't do it. I cannot fulfill the law. I do not have an internal righteousness. I cannot seek the kingdom at all times. This is the true response. We are to be poor in spirit, to recognize each one of us that we are hopeless, lost, pitiful, wretched, and damnable. But it is in this realization that we find the narrow way. The poverty of spirit, the repentance of heart, the shuddering at the weight of the commands is the stooping of the back that leads you through that narrow door. It's the falling on your knees before the Lord Jesus and saying, I am a sinner. Would you welcome me in anyway? For blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We cry out, Lord, Lord, I'm not worthy to gather the crumbs from under your table. We cry out with Peter, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Yet Jesus says to all who make such admission, who cry out for mercy, yours is definite, secure, finished, is the kingdom. For what have we learned about Jesus? The angels said to Joseph about his soon-to-be wife, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Come to Christ. Come in humility, and he will forgive all of your sins, and then embark on a journey of a lifetime obeying his every word, trudging through the hardness and the difficult path on to eternal glory. Jesus sets before us this inescapable choice. Two paths, but only one way. What will you do? Moses ends his sermon. This has been the way through all the Old Testament and new. And he says to the people of Israel, and I finish with these words. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you may live and your offspring may live. Let us pray. I will give you a moment to reflect and think upon your state of your soul and then we'll pray.
Lord God, we thank you that you are the great physician and doctor. That when you assess and you see the cancer, the death that is within us, you do not merely treat our symptoms and say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. You inform us of our terminal illness and then provide a miraculous cure. Lord God, we thank you that in Christ we have full and complete pardon for all of our sins. Lord God, I call upon you today that if there's any here in this congregation that does yet not know you, that you would say, depart from me, that you would burn in that fire, that you would lead to destruction, that you would wash away with the flood of your wrath on that last day, that you would convict them even now, that they would cry out for salvation and they would cling to Christ. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are with me on the narrow way. We ask, Lord, give us strength for the journey. Protect us from the warnings and the perils along the way. Help us each day to take up our cross and to follow you. Never turning back. Amen.